Pour avoir un site internet bien conçu, bien référencé et bien sécurisé, il y a ceux qui galèrent bien. Mais alors vraiment bien. Et puis il y a les autres, ceux qui veulent créer eux-mêmes leur site facilement avec un outil intuitif, et ceux qui préfèrent ne rien faire. Pour eux, One and One Yono s'occupe de tout. En plus, avec One and One Yono, on peut toujours faire appel à son conseiller personnel, comme s'il était dans le bureau d'à côté. À choisir, vous préférez quoi Un tuto ou un conseiller que vous finirez par tutoyer A bientôt sur Yonos, ionos.fr slash podcast. Bonne écoute. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly FA Cup Special. All the magic, lower attendances, weakened teams, some with VAR, some without, but in many ways it will make the pod even better. It's bragging rights cubed as Liverpool's third team beat Everton. Joy for Mike Dean as Tranmere come back from three down at Watford. There's a win for Wayne Rooney's Frank Lampard's derby as a referee looks at the monitor. When banter goes wrong, Port Vale's Tom Pope wins Twitter until he suddenly doesn't. And there are good results for Middlesbrough, Rochdale, Fulham and Wednesday. The biggest cup upset is in France where a team 9,000 kilometers from France gets through to the next round. We'll round up the rest of Europe, answer your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, hello John Bruin. Hello Max. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I'd like to congratulate Macclesfield Town for their spawny 1-0 victory over the mighty Cambridge United on Saturday afternoon. I had several spies at this game. And? Should have been three or four nil. Should it? Yeah. How's the, so the Colin Calderwood revolution is is not revolving. Well, at least you have a manager. Okay, it's true. Uh, Paul McInnes, hi mate. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Hello, Jonathan Wilson. Morning. Fifteen minutes of receptionist not knowing who you were. What a that makes it sound like it's me being a twat. <laughs> well, I mean... don't you know who he is? Yeah. Right. No. It's just the totally. I've only worked here for eighteen years. <laughs> And still, nobody can give me an ID card. But keeps you grounded, doesn't it? I mean, that's certainly one word for it. <laughs> Would you think we'll be able to cheer you up with some FA Cup chat? I mean, if anything could, <laughs> it's not that. All right, then, third round of the FA Cup. Um, attendances are down. Only 7,300 at Birmingham Blackburn. Uh, 5,828 at Cardiff, uh, which is uh, just over 11,000 at Sheffield United a drop of 19,000 from their previous home attendance. Um, is part of that, actually, a lot of these games were big team at home to small team. And so that does, when you're looking at the average attendances, you're much more likely to not turn up to that if you're in the Premier League and you're home to a team you don't care about. Yeah, of course. I mean, G- Gillingham's attendance was up mm. against West Ham. Rochdale's was. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, when, I, when I used to go to Sunderland every week, the FA Cup... If you drew Carlisle, as we seem to do on a regular basis in the early 90s, it would be far fewer people there because they've, they've just spent a load of money watching three or four games over Christmas and you know, all the cost of Christmas. It's an easy way of scaling back on a cold afternoon. Why would you go and watch two bad teams rather than just one? So what about an idea to make the smaller team always be at home? Good yeah, but bad. the smaller team also wants the money. Wants the money mm. of play- and they also, not just the money, but also if you're somebody where the peak of your career is playing for... I, I don't know, uh, Darlington, and you get drawn away at Old Trafford. Brilliant. You shouldn't go and enjoy that. And, and the fans want to go to Old Trafford as well. True. I mean, they should. Just have terrible ground these it's days. Ter- it's, ter- it's terrible these days. But You do want to go, yeah. I'm just brainstorming here, guys. Well, I, I think one of the problems of... Th- there's so many brainstorms about how to rescue the FA Cup and none really has come up with a, a solution other than trying to make it more special by having 
less football around it. Could could we invite overseas territories? Could we get Port Stanley Athletic in there? Maybe like the French do. Get Scottish teams in. See, that's not a terrible. That is not a terrible idea, is it? Well, that might work for a couple of years, and then people get bored of that as well. I think yeah. you just have to accept that people are going to get bored of it. But for every, you know, for every three games that are underwhelming, you'll have one that's really exciting and. You know. Well, even Gillingham yesterday, you know, you could feel it It meant something. Yeah. Just watching on telly, it was a game that, that kind of kept the attention because it, you know, I mean, West Ham are, are, are great. <laughs> yeah, they, they they play the Goliath well very well. Um, what, what about, I know these ideas that have been said before, giving a Champions League spot to the winners of the FA Cup. Or even Joel says, if a championship team knew they'd be given a route to promotion for winning it, or a struggling team might be saved from relegation by winning it, I can't think of practically how you could make that work. But just some bigger prize, right? Well, I mean, the big teams tend to win it anyway, so... And can you not just accept that it's never going to be what it was in the 1950s, and but it still should exist because of, A, history? Mm-hmm. We, like, in the UK, apparently, we're quite keen on our history. Yeah. We maintain that. And then also because of the opportunities for smaller teams to have a, have a day in the sun. What about... VAR being only at Premier League grounds. I've seen some people being very upset about this. I don't so I'm, I'm really not sure. mind it, actually. Well, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think the, it's probably not a good idea, but I don't really think I it makes a big difference. I also sort of think if you've, got, if you've got it there, you might as well use it, right? I mean, I, I, it did occur to me what you're watching the Middlesbrough-Tottenham uh, game yesterday. That Middlesbrough goal, I haven't actually seen back a good replay of it. Would that definitely have been onside with five? No, match of the day seemed to say it was offside. Right. But it was very tight. Um, and Jose complained about it afterwards. But I, I, That's know, like the magic you, of the cup, though, isn't it? <laughs> in the same way, you get some referees who are stricter than others, some who are better than others, the same way some pitchers are better than others. I'm not sure VAR is 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 that different. Uh, and if it's there, I think probably... I think it's odder to have it there and to have it turned off, if you see what I mean. And you can then have certain innovations in the use of VAR if in the FA Cup, which wouldn't happen in the Premier League, such as the use of pit side monitors. Absolutely. Uh, Graham says, um, just a couple more things before we get into the games. The FA Trophy gives teams the option of agreeing beforehand whether they want to settle the match at the first time of asking or if there'll be a replay in the event of a draw. I like the idea of uh, the teams having the option. Well, could you not just say, should we make it 60 minutes? You know. Yeah, should we bother with the match? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but they've got to get rid of replays, haven't they? Oh, I don't know, because I, I, either way, if you're the smaller team, either bringing a big team back to your ground or getting the glamour the, the, replay. I think it's very difficult to get Premier League teams to agree to any sort of solidarity with clubs lower down the league. You know, but this is the case with the payments in particular, the money not going up as in in uh, tandem with the revenues going up. I think the FA Cup should be seen as a solidarity competition. It's not about the big clubs. It shouldn't should be one thing that's not about the big clubs. Whereas, you know, this tedious discussion about whether replay should be because of the back of that terrible Wolves Man United game is our, you know, Nuno, who's a canny operator, going on about, oh, my players are a little bit fatigued. Don't care, mate. You know, you're spending millions of pounds on wages every year in order to have the most finely tuned athletes you possibly can. Uh, Finally, all the games kicked off, as you mentioned, a minute later than usual to raise awareness, get people thinking and talking about mental health. I think Barry's written a piece in the paper about saying, this, you know, the FA don't often do things that we praise, but this is a was a good idea because I think a lot of people, at the first time they looked at the time of the kickoff, they went, why is that? And yeah, I made a Twitter faux pas and said, you know, oh God, there must be some TV related reason why this is. And then had to say, okay, my cynicism got the better of me. Yeah. And actually this is a, a good cause. Absolutely. Um, 
Liverpool won Everton nil then. A lot of Liverpool crowing. I mean, oh, no. I mean, I mean the I mean, amount of Liverpool crowing there's been, and fair enough, I guess. What's they were the, good. What's the weakest Liverpool team could field and still beat Everton? Under 16, staff, pundits 11, says Phil. A pundits 11 would be quite good, wouldn't it? I mean... The 46-47 championship winning team. <laughs> <laughs> they did that advert, didn't they, recently for Standard Chartered where they exhumed a load of Liverpool <laughs> yes. legends to appear. They could... Probably gave Everton a good game. Bob Pacey was part of the 46-47 championship winning team. Yes, I did know that, Jonathan. Uh, we all knew that, Jonathan, obviously. Yes, I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, th- I think I heard a couple of you saying before we even came on air, we're talking about football, which I was surprised about, saying that, you know... All I these, haven't got here at that point. All, no, you're right. All these teams, you know, fielding weak inside, and yet Jurgen Klopp manages to field a weak inside that is exciting, Paul. Yeah, I mean, there was a bit of this, I remember, with Wenger in the Carlin Cup back in the day. when He used to, he sort of made it his standard thing of playing the youth. And sometimes it was really exciting to watch because the kids were up for it. And I think the thing was, the kids were up for it and they were very well organised. Plus, you know, I, I, Klopp is obviously an excellent, um, yeah, he's the best coach in the world at the moment. And he can develop all these players into talents who are, look like they can cut it in the men's game. I also really enjoyed watching Lalana, Rigi, and uh, Joe Gomez, you know, Gomez was a really calm, cool leader of the defence. Lalana was all over the place. Origi, great touch for a big man, etc. It was just really fun to watch. It was probably made even more fun than the fact that Everton was so pedestrian. I mean, that would be quite, I think I've seen as much social media stuff from Everton fans bricking it um, as Liverpool fans crowing. And I could understand why that they were obviously overwhelmed in midfield which, you know, playing a combination of Schneiderlin and, and um, uh, Sigurdsson in the middle is not the most ambulant combination you can imagine. But elsewhere, you know, uh, Walcott's delivery was was on-off. Calvert-Lewin was sort of not, you know, not making the connections needed. It was disappointing all over the pitch, which was even, you know, heightened the contrast. Um, from the Everton Aren't We fan site, probably our worst ever derby defeat. Everton need to make it clear which players need to leave in the summer. We're paying some absolute shithouses a fortune. I mean, it is, it's a humbling defeat for them, isn't it? They had a lot of chances. They had three chances in the first half. And Adrian in tracksuit trousers is the only goalkeeper to improve by putting <laughs> tracksuit trousers on. So it could have been very different, but that is, it is humbling for them, right? They just can't play at Anfield. It was, 1999 was the last time they got a result there. Um, 1995 was the last time they won a trophy and I was actually at that game and it feels like I it feels so long ago it feels like I I like I don't know going to the theatre with John Wilkes Booth (laughs) or going to the Cavern Club to watch the Silver Beatles or something like that It, 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 it it's so that era is so long ago and with okay, Carlo Ancelotti is a new manager working with a, a group of players that are some of them are on their fifth manager, and you're on a you, you're with a, a a team that just doesn't fit together because of that reason because of and and they just turned up and the game I would compare this to actually and I do wonder whether that, that those players will will go quite so far but in 1994 Manchester United went to Port Vale. And played a team involving, you know, Paul Scholes, Nicky Butts, um, Ryan Giggs, the Neville brothers, so on. And uh, an MP asked for the money back because we didn't want to watch all these young players playing at Port Vale. And it, 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 Liverpool are in such a sweet spot at the moment that 
they, they are the best team in the world, officially. They're going to win, the, they're the Champions League winners. They are going to win the Premier League. And then they've got the best young players in the game. You know, they're not really going to have it as good as this, as Liverpool fans, and beating Everton in that manner. Wow. Curtis Jones' goal, I mean, his first senior goal. Paul, that is just such an amazing strike, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just his his touch and kind of close, uh, close I, don't if, I don't know if this is a term, but close play throughout the match was excellent. He was able to work himself out of tight spaces. Great delivery of the ball. Nice little interchange with Origi as well. Just a little tiny one-two in a small space. But he knew exactly what he, t- he gestured to Origi. I want the ball because I'm going to do this. Got the ball, did it. That's the sort of thing you see on, you know, skills videos and stuff. People doing these little soccer AM kind of challenges and stuff. And he just absolutely nailed it. And it, with such a short backlift as well. I mean, he can't have had, um, well, he didn't have any opportunity to get real power behind it, but it still flew in the top corner. Mm. And Harvey Elliott looks pretty handy, doesn't he? Silly yeah, haircut. Chivavella as well, I thought was excellent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, one of the things you don't know is, are these players just being lifted by the rising tide? How many of them are actually that good? How many have just been boosted by the fact that everything at Liverpool at the minute is brilliant? Um, but yeah, I think if you were if you were connected with Everton, you'd be really worried about how a little bit of pressing the first five minutes of the second half, and they completely lost it. And I know that's testament to how well Liverpool pressed as well, and how Klopp obviously at half-time encouraged them to press a bit harder. Um, but just to capitulate the way they did. Well, it shows that that pressing game runs right down to the very yeah, bottom ranks yeah, of yeah. the club. Yeah, yeah. Sean said, I think it was Shankly who said there are two teams in Liverpool, Liverpool and Liverpool reserves. Uh, now this is clearly true, he says. Is there a single Everton player who could hold a place in the Reds' 25-man squad? I think... Pickford. N- well, his arms... Are t- the, the Liverpool fans well, Pickford sing about Pickford out of Adrian, surely. Yes. Uh, I think... I actually... He didn't have a great game, but I think Richarlison is a good player. Could probably get in Liverpool's squad. I think Lucas Dean could play reserve left back. Okay, Sigurdsson. I mean, I do like Sigurdsson. No, no, no way. He's not having a good season. No, he isn't. And and, you know, you can't. You have to. It was the case when they paid fifty million quid for him. You've got to build a team around him in a number ten role. And Liverpool wanted him a few years ago, of course. I suppose it's always that interesting thing about taking those players of such talent putting them into a side where you'd have the ball all the time would ch- would check you know it would be nicer for him right but the you suspect he's, he must be what 29 13 because he's he's younger than you think but pro- but still older than okay well, I, I thought <laughs> he was 31 so that logic yeah he's 29 30 yeah so but he's you know he's gone he's getting beyond those years now where you would actually sort of make a stake and say okay we're going mm. to but also has he ever been touches. dynamic enough to press in a way that Liverpool no, would demand him um, to Rochdale, to Spotland. Uh, Rochdale won, Newcastle won. Uh, Newcastle put out a pretty strong side in this game. Uh, Dubravka, Yedlin, Almiron, both Longstaffs, Joel Linton. Um, I mean, they have so many injuries, Newcastle. It's pretty much the only side that they could put out. Um, even uh, Sunderland beat Rochdale this season. Did we? In really? August. Yeah. Um, and a lovely, look, Aaron Wil- Wilbraham, it is a lovely story, isn't it? And I know lots of people have mentioned how old he is. He's 40 years and 75 days old, um, joining a few select players in having scored in four separate decades. Got his first professional goal in 1998, uh, more, than tw- more than five years before his teammate, uh, Luke Matheson, was born, the guy who set him up for the goal. I, I used to watch him play, you know, for Stockport County. Did you? Aaron Wilbraham. Uh he came, he replaced uh, Stockport. He used to have a, a 
blonde-haired player called Alan Armstrong. Alan. Alan. Yes. Yeah, he was at uh, Newcastle for a while. Not the... Um, the actor who played actor George who, Oldfield in the classic... In uh, Jonathan's favourite Yorkshire Ripper miniseries, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and, and he's somewhat... He's a player that's just kept popping up because he was at Norwich, wasn't he? And... Um, I seem to remember, actually, I don't play this game anymore, but I seem to remember at one point he was the fantasy league striker with the lowest value. Oh, was he? In the league. So like 0.7. Yeah. Or, <laughs> and, but yes, um, great to see. Uh, obviously, there was a, uh, an emotional aspect to that because he's recently lost his mother. Mm. Um, and Some really know, nice quotes on that. He yes. said, it meant a lot. My mum was my biggest fan. Obviously, for the family and everyone at the moment, it's been a hard time. She drove me everywhere. When I was younger, in a little brown Fiesta with about £2.50 petrol money in to make training. I never had my dad around when I was younger, so she was the only one. No, it was because, like John said, he played for Norwich and in, in our Premier League team. We called him Wilbrahimovic because he you know, was tall. That's about yeah. the same thing else. But, he's, but, he, but he did, you know, he do, he do cute things when you least expected it. And even then, you know, this is about seven or eight years ago, it was this minor miracle that the guy was playing at that level or getting his way into the team. I think he might even have scored against Spurs at one point. And it, it's just, you know, it, we were, he, was a, he was a cult hero and that was, you know, half a professional career ago and he's still going. Yeah, fair play. To still be able to move over the age of 40 is, is tremendous. And on this game, uh, I saw something that we've seen quite a lot. The reaction to the, of the Newcastle fans at full time in that game. How quickly they turn. Uh, the boos were... You know, as boos go, mm-hmm. these were pretty firm. And were they aimed at the whole team? Were they aimed at Bruce Lane, but Joel Linton? Because he's got a lot of... Well, Joel Linton's going, yeah, I mean, he's in that awful position now where... You can't see how he can ever get back at Newcastle. Um, and should they persevere with him? I know it's hard. To, you've got these players a bit like Wesley, who is unfortunately out injured, Haller at West Ham, who all seem quite similar in their build. I don't haven't watched enough of them to know if any of them are stunningly brilliant footballers. And some well, of them the are. other issue with Joe Linton is there's certainly a perception that uh, Mike Ashley desperately wanted to sign him for reasons that aren't tremendously clear. Um, and one of the reasons that Benitez left was that he felt this player was being foisted upon him. Uh, so in, you know, in that sense, he's sort of seen as being a very direct agent of the Ashley regime, right, okay. which probably isn't entirely fair to him. It might be fair to his agent, but he's the one who's getting all the flack. And he's obviously having a terrible time, and his confidence is gone, his touch is gone, and I can't see any solution other than he leaves. I mean, it compa- was on, Sorry, it was only a few weeks ago that that, before Saint Maximan got injured, that people were talking about. No, none of them were scoring, but people were talking about them as being an effective attacking unit. Mm. I mean, he, he, one thing he has above Wesley and Haller, I think, is a bit more pace too. But he, I don't he, think he's a good a player though. From what, from what I've seen in the last no, sort of four or five months, I, I, I was talking to some people in Germany over the summer about this, and uh, Haller is much more highly rated than Joe Linton, and it was something of a surprise. Uh, perhaps for the reason Jonathan's hinting at that he ended up at Newcastle and for and for such a high price as well. Um, and you know, I, I don't think you can blame him completely. The rest of the players let let Newcastle... In fact, in fact to blame him completely is completely ridiculous, of course. I, I do wonder, um, the Steve Bruce relationship with the fans is or it might be a tipping point, whereas two or three weeks ago, four weeks ago, say... It was. Oh, hang on, they're doing all well. Roses. I mean, they're probably yeah. well, they lost three in a row, though, haven't they? That's, yeah, I mean, okay. that's the. And you know, they went three in a row, and it all will go away again. Though, I mean. Well, they won't all go away. That's that's the problem. Is it's kind of you know, there's the the, the 
grounds. default level is, is yeah, it'll, it'll go happy. back to the default level because yeah. they were on the verge of it was on the verge of you know him being accepted about a month ago mm, I'm not sure it was it was a sort of you know the, the immediate dissatisfaction had been quelled but it's it's pretty close to the surface I, I think one of the things about Steve Bruce is that he uh, and Roy Keane mentions this actually in his book that uh, and he says maybe, maybe I look at Bruce and see one someone who manages up better than I do and uh, he 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 is seen as someone who has, you know, has pursued a, a, a relationship with Mike Ashley, which, if you're a true Newcastle legend, you don't do. Hmm. I mean, that's a tricky thing to do if you are the Newcastle manager, right? Isn't it to have a terrible relationship with him to keep the fans? Well, on side, yeah, but... and it is his dream job. You know, it's yeah. a it's a job that since he retired as a player, he's always wanted. So as, it's, it's a difficult thing for him. Zach says, which famous Joes would be better up front for Newcastle than Joe Linton, Pasquale, Joe Jolene. Jolene. Joe Longthorne. Um, yeah, you'd have to Joe, play... Joe Chamberlain. Joe Kerr by Drew Kim Phoenix. Okay. Uh, to Vicarage Road, Watford 3, Tranmere 3. Uh, Paul, you were there. Yeah. The magic of the cup. Well, I was messaging my brother beforehand saying, uh, look who's got the short straw again, you know, continually. This is what I get in life, just people trampling on me. And then by the end, I was like, oh my God, this is probably the best game I've seen all season. Just simply because of the emotions in the in the ground, the first half was pretty good. Like um, for for Watford, there was some nice nice little play. Domingos Quina is playing in a sort of he's a twenty year old prospect, very good on the ball, playing in a number ten, and was, was quite exciting. Chalabar was was having a good game, and it was worth watching for that. But to see the delirium from the Tranmere supporters and from the club staff, who I was sitting next to in the media uh, box. As it just grew and grew, because no, they just genuinely didn't believe it was go- it was going it's to, the be ultimate, able to happen, isn't it? Yeah, really. I mean, all they needed was a winner to make it totally ridiculous. But and there, there was a scramble in the box in the sort of last. There was also a really dangerous free kick for Watford. They could have won it at the last as well. But um, no, it was just great to see, because you know, as we were talking about the, the top of the show, there's two thousand seven hundred Tranmere fans in the ground. They packed out one end of the one end of the stadium, which is more than the usual away allocation for the Premier League matches. Um, but just to see that and feel it, that was that was great because you can't you can't you can't bottle it. Man. And actually, that is the perfect time for a penalty to because because with the penalty to make it three three, you've got all the anticipation because it's VAR as well. You've got this sort of build up of oh, it's nothing. Oh, it is a penalty, and now we've got to wait for the penalty to be taken. And then the way Mullins absolutely twatted that yeah. ball as well. Yeah, and, then, and then, then you've got the wait for encroachment, which makes it even more exciting. <laughs> Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, well done to Rochdale, well done to Tranmere. We'll begin part two at the Etihad. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Some live shows for you. Uh, on the 20th of January, we're at the Salas Benny Theatre in Brighton. Me, Barry, Ellis James, Nicky Bandini. Uh, Dublin. Uh, I think a couple of tickets still available for each night. Monday, me, Barry, Wilson, Bandini. Tuesday, me, Barry, Lars, Lou. Uh, The 9th and 10th of March, Glasgow University Debating Chambers on the 9th. On the 10th, uh, the Pleasants in Edinburgh. Me, Barry, Lars, Ellis joining for Edinburgh. Uh, But still the 9th, up for grabs. How exciting. Uh, Right, at the Etihad... Um, Manchester City 4, Port Vale 1. Uh, Tom Pope, currently uh, uh, at Vale, 10th in League 2. 
tweeted in the summer, just watched the highlights of the England game. I know I'm a League Two player. I know he plays for England. I know he's on 150k a week. I know he's a million times better player than me, but I'd love to play against John Stones every week. Hashtag soft. Hashtag weak as piss. Um, he broke the post-war scoring record for Port Vale with his header, which was a brilliant header. His 109th goal for the club. He got dragged into the city dressing room afterwards, said John Stones didn't want to talk to him. And then uh, he tweeted, sorry, I can't reply to everyone. It's gone mental. I'd like to say I was completely wrong. I'm bang out of order to say I scored 40 a season. It's more like 50. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, Pep said the initial tweet was not nice. So this was all going really tremendously. And he said the best bit of the day was that Ben Mendy asked for a selfie for the City WhatsApp group. Apparently John Stones is getting all sorts of <laughs> stick about Tom Boat, which is really funny. Is that, that's, that's Ben Mendy's job these days, isn't it? it? Yeah. yeah, it basically is. And then uh, Tom Pope... Um, carried on tweeting and could now be the subject of an FA investigation after he responded to a fan's tweet about the potential for World War III with a theory involving the Rothschilds owning all of the banks, which is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. He has since tweeted, I obviously didn't know that, but he sort of, he's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? When you become flavour of the month on social media, just to be careful what you say, right? He must have been thinking that he could get a podcast like Peter Crouch. He could, you know, start appearing on the Football League show. Um, he could appear on TalkSport. Well, actually, I think he probably wasn't. He was on TalkSport. And then, yes, he uh, he went there. It's interesting, though. We don't know, obviously, what he knows and what he doesn't know. But you very much presume that Tom Pope did not know. Well, that- I think it's probably in the Bernardo Silva category of something that's clearly definitely wrong yeah. but i can also kind of understand how somebody might not quite realize that but it's also kind of worrying how pervasive these tropes now are yeah i i, I, I know people i would presume i don't know what, what seat of learning tom pope attended but i know people of university education that have spouted that type of thing to mm. me it's common it's out there on the internet um and he's fallen into the trap um, it, it's a pretty unfortunate episode for him. It is. In the same sense, uh, and it's different to the Bobby Madley thing. And we didn't talk about that on the last pod about, you know, Bobby Madley making a video of a disabled person, making a joke about it and sending it to a friend, which on the face of it is a pretty horrible thing to do. And his friend then falling out with him and sending a USB stick to the PGMOL and then him losing his entire career from it seems quite a... a I'm not suggesting that anything will happen to Tom Pope, but maybe there will be an investigation. Maybe there should be some sanction or he needs to be go on an education course and learn about it. But the sort of cancel culture, it hasn't happened with Tom Pope, but that happened with Madley. I find it sort of quite a frustrating society. Well, the pylons are yeah. appalling. You know, doesn't, I mean, it almost doesn't matter what the initial offence is. The pylon is, is also a very, very bad thing. Yeah. But I think, I think it's also the case that people just have to take responsibility for what they say. You know, I don't think, I think if you're going to start talking about the Rothschilds, you know, you may not know, mm-hmm. but you know enough to put down that they own all the banks. So, you know, but you're allowed own to, it. you're allowed to make mistakes, right? Yeah, you're allowed to make mistakes, and but so you've got to, you've got to own the mistake. Right. You've got, you've got to, you've got to, it's not like kind of, oh, I didn't know about this or, you know, of course, anybody who knows me wouldn't do this. You've done it, accept it and try and be better. Mm. So make the mistake. I mean, I've, I've made mis- I've made mistakes. You know, social media is an invidious place. I've made I've made mistakes on social media, and presume almost everybody who's been on it has. Sure, but you've it's it's your responsibility. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, let's go to uh, what producer Jonathan has written as a few interesting draws, question mark, with beginning with Wolves nil, Manchester United nil, which was not interesting. No, I got sent to that. Did you? Yeah. How was it? Terrible. It was, I mean, uh, you know, Wolves is, is a great ground to go and visit. Um, it's always nice to see Paul Doyle. Uh, the, the pre-match chicken was, was pretty good. Did you, did you walk down the famous tunnel? Yeah. Yeah. There and back. Great. Okay. So you think you think uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should go? Yeah. Uh, I thought he should never been appointed. Uh-huh. So um, you don't you don't you don't think there's been any sort of uh, that the pace is slow and it's two steps forward, one step back, but that he has made some sort of progress. Okay, my 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 huge problem with him is can they do anything that is not playing on the counter attack and teams leave space in behind them? Wolves don't leave space in behind them, so. Uh, first half, United had quite a lot of possession. People who see Wolves regularly say that away teams don't often have that much possession at Molyneux. Uh, second half after Jimenez came on, Wolves much improved. Um, and they offered all the threat, apart from that one Rashford chance that... Well, there's a free kick, the matter free kick, and, and Rashford hit the bar. But apart from that, there was there was nothing from them. I don't think they had a shot on target in the entire game. Um, um, first time since January 2015, they hadn't had a shot in target. And it's just... He just never felt like United were going to do anything. You know, it, it was sort of you, you were sitting there with a nil-nil, quite comfortably writing a piece on the assumption United wouldn't win. It was it, there's some games where you start watching the first ten minutes and think, yeah, nil-nil, and what, that was one of them. Um, what do we make of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer versus Robin van Persie and the fight that I didn't expect to be discussing at any time this season? RVP made some. I mean, he's a very relaxed man, and he didn't. He was punditing on the Arsenal game, so it was quite hard to be positive against about United. Solskjaer had a real, uh, really bit back, didn't he? Well, yeah, uh, Robin van Persie has that, you know, as relaxed as he is, he has that... He is so Dutch. <laughs> that's what I was going to say, that, that Dutch trait of being explicit about what he thinks. And I, I did think, actually, that Ollie played, pulled rank a bit, you know, oh, he, he inherited my 20... Shirt. And basically, I'm the bigger Man United legend here. And to be fair, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is. Uh, but I found it interesting that when he walked, he did that sort of kiss off at the end of his press conference and walked off and said something like, these aren't medieval times. And then when he, on the, during the, at the press conference after the game on Saturday, he suddenly said, hey, this is 2020. So Oli is, seems to be in some sort of, Time sensitive. Mm, he says, "I don't believe in scaring them to make them play better." Was his? Yeah, but he quote. was he was sort of saying that you know that the, 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 almost as if it was a, a medieval manager would you know spare the rod and spoil the child that type of thing. And then now he, he's he's a what's the word that Manchester City used for a holistic holistic manager? Mm. But the thing is, he played for Alex Ferguson, who was both. And this is this seems to be what what Van Persie was saying was that when he went to the club, uh, the Ferguson said to Wayne Rooney, to Shinji Kagawa, to all the other players, you give the ball to Robin, he'll put it in the back of the net. That's what you've got to do. And he was saying that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there is no sign that that's what's going on. I mean, yeah, I think there is an absence of a plan there, but I also think you look at that midfield on Saturday. Matic, matter. I mean, would have been a great Chelsea midfield in 2012, although they never actually coincided at the club. Uh, and then Pereira, who is a kid who may or may not, 
I guess an older kid, but it's still unproven. So it, it's partly to do with recruitment, but I think there's also no plan. But I think it's interesting that Solskjaer, having never seen him do that, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he if it's good for him to show a bit of. Well, I absolutely I, I, think it's good for him to show it. Do you? Yeah, I think he should. I think it it shows somebody is not being uh, uh, scared by the job, scared by the responsibility. Somebody who wants who wants it and wants to succeed at it. And I think because it, it came to me, it, it, it felt to me like why are you even why are you bothering well, with what a pundit is saying? There was a, there was a bit of a Fergusonism in it, you know, kick, kicking off. But he's also doing the Ferguson thing, which is kicking off against the media, showing that he's not someone to be messed around with, while at the same time, and Jonathan was at the press conference, uh, delivering fairly bland comments about his team's performance well, he, after. He kind of, it was a very odd performance, actually, the post-match press conference, because he ended up getting himself in a bit of bother. Because uh, he was asked a question about, United arrived slightly late. I mean, but, you know, they were there, I think, 68 minutes before kick-off. So you have to submit the team's team sheet sixty minutes before kick off, and obviously there are ways around that if you yeah, something. There's the internet happens. and everything. Yeah, uh, and he blamed some traffic lights which delayed them, and he said he was aiming to get there seventy five minutes before, and these traffic lights had slowed them down. And then he made some offhand joke about sort of, yeah, have you been in the dressing rooms here? Which obviously I, all the local Wolves journalists are like, well, what's wrong with the dressing rooms here? What are you saying about us? And he was then kind of desperately backtracking, no, 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 it's you know, it's it's all fine. And you sort of saw how how bad he is. at doing media stuff. You know, he he just went down this rabbit hole that he clearly wasn't slagging off with modern new dressing rooms, but he did it by mistake and then had to kind of extricate himself from that. So you sort of think if that's how he delivers his message, no wonder the message doesn't get through. But the biggest worry is, you know, if the traffic lights are set in Wolverhampton for a seven-minute... That's a long time to be sat. I, th- I think he meant there was a traffic jam there which delayed them. Ah, I see, not just a traffic light. Yeah. I was once at a stop-go man. You know, the man with the stop-go. Yeah. At a, 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 a sort of, in, a, in the middle of, middle of Australia, in like a, a, a forest in the west of Australia. And a man stood with stop in front of our two cars for 15 minutes and not one car <laughs> went past the other way. <laughs> we were hysterical. <laughs> By the time he just turned it round, didn't look at us, didn't say anything. <laughs> Sitting there, going, nothing is going. It was only about it was only about twenty meters as well. You could see the other side. Anyway, uh, we send our best, obviously, to all our Australian listeners, uh, considering what is happening over there at the moment. Uh, Lafondra says, "Didn't you make a bet, Max, with Wilson about how many games Dan James would play for United this season? I think you've won it." Yeah, you have. Yeah. Uh, what was? Do we remember what we bet? I think, I th- I think it was for a cup of coffee. I said he wouldn't play. He wouldn't start ten league games this mm-hmm. season. Can it be for a bottle of wine? If you like. Oh, great. I've got loads of cheap shit I've won in pub quizzes. That's fine. That's fine. Um, Middlesbrough won. Tottenham won. A replay for Jonathan Woodgate and Robbie Keane at Middlesbrough. Nothing really happened in the first half. Middlesbrough went one up. Spurs then arguably dominated, but really struggled to break down Middlesbrough. Um, Jacob says, "Has, has Mourinho ever had such an uninspired start to his tenure? How do you expect him to respond in terms of tactics, he says? I mean, I, I saw the I saw them at Cabo Road over Christmas, and it was this first sort of. He maybe had a press conference or two before, but anyway, it was certainly a press conference where he started delivering his message about how people's expectations should be lowered and the quality of football was. Uh, you might have to um, endure some tough times in order to get to the uh, promised land, and, you, and you're thinking, well, how many weeks have you been in the door, and you're already kind of playing the hit. Um, he said he doesn't have a striker 
because he can't play the same way with Son or Mora through the centre than he could with Kane. Well, A, you knew that when you came in. And B, you have Troy Parrott. C, Pochettino managed to turn Son into a very effective forward because he was versatile and he also understood how to get the best out of his players and how to pair them with other players to collectively get the best. Well, I think the interesting thing as well is you know, the phrase you just used about playing the hits, that there's an element of this in the, his second spell, you know, the beginning of his second spell at Chelsea of that first season wasn't great, but we weren't quite as aware of a Mourinho hit. Whereas now everybody's immediately going, well, yeah, we've heard all this before. Have you learned at all? Or are we just going to go through the same cycle? And after two and a half seasons, you're going to leave in leaving this toxic wasteland behind you? When he came in, there was this talk that he had learned from his previous mistakes. And also there was this sense, this didn't come from him, but uh, this idea that he would be far happier at Tottenham because he had a, he was working with a better team than the players he had at Manchester United. And the signs are that he's just as unhappy with the footballers around him because he just doesn't seem to like footballers around him. And, and Paul refers to the, the Harry Kane problem they've got. And Harry Kane is a player who, unfortunately, does pick up injuries. But unless Jose Mourinho has a centre-forward, a classic centre-forward in the Drogba... Uh, or the uh, the style of um, well, the style of Kane, a centre forward, he can't seem to be out of constructed team. But I'm baffled watching how Spurs play. You know, even when they were you know winning in the first times that Mourinho arrived, how Man United played under Mourinho. I'm baffled that he ever won anything. It's yeah. very direct, isn't it? There's no playing through midfield. He appears not to fancy Harry Winks at all. But how did that work? Fancy. How did that work twenty years ago or fifteen years ago or? He had better players and the teams that they were playing against were not used to playing against those that that that, that aggressive approach that, that he brought to Chelsea. I think Chelsea. he's also become more cautious. I think he now just doesn't trust the midfield. Also, opponents did, just didn't press in the same way. He, you know, yeah. I, I think he was less scared what happened when the ball went at midfield. And I think we also, there's things that we can never know that will go on inside a club about, you know, how has Jose Mourinho himself changed over 15 years? Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost certain that he has. But the thing is, though, Paul, it, it, it is apparent that in his outward appearance, just the stuff we see in the media and the people that you, that you will see at press conferences, he isn't the same guy as he was he 15 to, years ago. I remember that when he accused the Reading... Um, Ambulance stuff. Yeah, of, you know, yeah. That that was that was, you know that nastiness was always there. The nastiness though. was there, but it was leavened by a charm. You know, he was a sort of Richard the Third figure that kind of you know you sort of forgave him you know, terrible uh, excesses like that. Yeah, and because maybe because the, he was fun. He was and, and he was successful as well. Maybe the charms, you know. Mm. I mean, listen, it, listen. It, they, they could still win the FA Cup and the Champions League, right? I mean, it's, it's they unlikely. won't do though, Max. Okay. I, I bet you a cheap <laughs> bottle of wine. <laughs> uh, Fulham two, Villa one. Two brilliant goals here. Anthony Knockart, um sort of going a bit Iron Robin, and Harry Arthur just belting it. Um, John, which one did you prefer, Harry Arthur's? Because, well, it, it's good to see Harry Arthur back and scoring, and I. I I quite like Fulham. Um, uh, did you know that he was Scott Parker's brother-in-law? I'm not accusing any nepotism uh, here, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all, no. That's... Uh, I, was, I was surprised that, you know, I think you look at, do you think you look at Bournemouth this season, I think they could do with him in the team. 
A hmm. uh, couple of good questions on this. Uh, Ravine says, is Indiana Vasilev coming on for marvellous Nakamba, the most football manager substitution of <laughs> all time? And Ryan says, if you were the manager of Aston Villa right now, would you rather have Wesley and Hurahan or a single Wesley Hulahan? <laughs> they probably... Well... Hurahan's doing all right, actually, isn't he? I think Wesley's all right. I yeah. mean, oh, he's out for the season, though, isn't he? Yeah. And Tom Heaton, and a big, big blows for Villa. And Hurahan's made an impression this season as mm, well, made an impact. Uh, Brighton nil, Sheffield Wednesday one. Um, did did anybody see the? Uh, you know, we talk about the cup, and it doesn't mean anything to anyone. And this beautiful post-match interview uh, with Oraze Orogidi on his Sheffield Wednesday debut. Um, what a stage to make my debut. I'm so happy the hard work I put in. People don't understand what I've been through. It's just great to get the win clean sheet. It's a dream come true. Um, and he said, when I was coming out, you could see him going, I was I was like, wow, this is proper match day. It's a really charming two minutes that I would recommend anybody, any cynic, and there are certainly some cynics <laughs> within, <laughs> within this room on a regular basis, whoever we have in here, but there are cynics listening as well. Yeah, and, you start, and you started you know, you know, started that bit by saying, you know, we say the FA Cup doesn't mean anything to anybody. Well, it doesn't mean anything to big clubs, you know, but there's no, I don't think there's a strong argument to say that it doesn't mean anything for small clubs mm. because, you know, these are these moments that the players, the fans really don't get otherwise. Um, Crystal Palace nil Derby one. Mike says, "Where were you when you heard Michael Oliver had checked a pitch side VAR monitor? Uh, VAR history made. Uh, Huddleston and Milivojevic uh, have a little fracas. He books them both, goes to the screen, sends off Milivojevic. Um, and I, I've, I've received a correction on this actually. Oh right, I from uh, well colleague Mr. Jeff Peters. Oh how Jeff? Yes." Uh, yeah, well, it, it, this is what you put on Twitter. Uh, he said, you know, bravo to referee Michael Oliver for using the VAR pitchside monitor today, but he's not the first in England. Oh. Uh, Craig Pawson did it two years ago in an FA Cup tie between Liverpool and West Brom at Anfield. Rooney looked quite good in there, didn't he? It's interesting to see him back and, and to see how well he'll do playing in sort of whole deep-lying midfield. Well, I didn't, I didn't see this game live, but I saw him play... Against Barnsley. Uh, against it? Barnsley um, on the 2nd of January. And he strolled around and played some, I mean, set up the first goal uh, and his pass out to Andre Wisdom, set up the, the second goal as well at that level. And I suppose Crystal Palace's lesser team is probably that level. He still got it. Um, but he still doesn't have it uh, at the level of what you might see if you were to watch Sky's Gary Neville soccer box where you watch the greatest... Him, him in his in his uh, salad days, but he's still got something to give. I did notice though uh, the other night when Derby scored that first goal, he didn't go to celebrate with the rest of his teams. He went for a drink because he was thirsty. Um, uh, Northampton won at Burton. Uh, well done to that. Um, uh, Burnley beating Peterborough four-two. Uh, a lovely goal from Eric Peters. Um, a lovely little no-look pass from Aaron Lennon. Uh, Southampton beat Huddersfield. T- 2-0. Shane Long thought he'd scored a goal and it was disallowed. That's upsetting. But uh, goals for uh, youngsters for Southampton, they looked very happy about it. Leicester beat Wigan 2-0. Lovely own goal from Tom Pearce on his debut. Harvey Barnes with a massive deflection. Uh, Brendan Rogers says, we will fight to get to the final. Great opportunity this for Leicester. They've got the Carabao as well, but it's a good idea for them to go for this. Yeah. Great. Uh, Bournemouth 4, Luton 0. Dominic Solanke scored. I mean, he almost didn't, didn't he? We well, had one chucked off yeah. of VAR before that. He had one chucked off of VAR, and then he—I mean—he hit one as as limply as you could possibly hit a strike that went in. But he really needed that. Yeah, they're so, going to need goals from him, I think. Mm. Do you think at any point 
Bournemouth are going to stop buying young players from Liverpool. Because <laughs> they got Jordan Ibe mm. and he hasn't been the greatest success. Uh, Harry Wilson's been okay on loan, so maybe loaning them is Brad okay. Brad Jones. They bought the fullback. Yeah, that Aussie didn't fullback, really that work didn't out. Didn't work no. out at all. Wasn't he a keeper? Uh, Brad Smith is Brad who Smith. you're thinking of. Yeah, yes. I'm thinking of Brad Smith. Brad Sorry. Smith. No, that's okay. Yeah, well, people have questioned uh, Howe's recruitment, and some of it has been bad, but some of it has been very good as well. They've really missed David Brooks this season. I think he was so good last year, and he was a bargain when they got him, I think. Uh, Sheffield United beat Filed 2-1. AFC Filed were the, uh, one of two non-league sides uh, left in. Hartlepool got knocked out on Saturday. Jack Rodwell uh, was in the Sheffield United starting lineup. Um Chelsea 2, Forest nil. Chris says, I'm Palace, but how good was that Chelsea kit? It was a commemorative kit, 50 years since they won the Cup in uh, 1970. Peter Osgood and David Webb getting the goals in extra time. Um, well, Webb's goal was in extra time. Um, old school blue, yellow socks and numbers, no names on the numbers. Uh, Isn't there a- no names on the shirts, no sponsor. Yeah, there was a bit of controversy, I think, amongst Chelsea fans about whether the sponsor's name would appear somewhere. So that's obviously been met. Yeah, that was really nice to see. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi scored one. Uh, Ross Bartley got the other. Uh, VAR denied Forrest a penalty because of Alex Mighton's fat kneecaps and also had a goal ruled out because of a tiny bit of Ryan Yates' buttock was offside. Um, Norwich won at Preston. You happy about that, Paul? Yeah, yeah, very happy. The I had an 18-year-old striker making his third appearance for the senior team, scored a hat-trick. Mm, Adam Ida. Yeah, Adam Ida. Another one of these great Irish kids, isn't he? Yes. Him, Troy Parrott, Connolly. Oberfemi, is it? At yeah, Southampton. 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 Yeah. But I mean, their under-21s are doing great things. Um, let me rattle through some other interesting things that happened. Um, uh, Birmingham's win over Blackburn included... A great performance from midfielder Ivan Sunjic, who came on in the 58th minute. Two minutes later, gave away a penalty and got sent off. Um, in Crew's home defeat to Barnsley, uh, the crew keeper, Will Jaskalainen, son of UC, uh, went up for a corner in the last minute. And obviously the ball broke clear and Barnsley sprinted away and scored. Rotherham 2, Hull City 3. Kyle Vassell scored a cracker. He is a distant relative of Darius. Uh, West Brom won at Charlton in an absolutely rascal purple marbled kit. And uh, there was an amazing goal for QPR. They won 5-1 against Swansea City. Josh Scowen, with an absolute scream, brought it down on his chest and outside of the right foot from a tight angle, put it in the top left-hand corner. Well, it's the kind of thing people only attempt when they're 4-1 up <laughs> yeah. near the end of the game, isn't it? You know, or he, the Matt Letizia, yeah. yeah. He didn't celebrate, which is unacceptable behaviour. Um, in Bristol Rovers 2-2 draw with Coventry, Tony Craig scored at both ends, which is always nice. And Armand Nandouillet, Mr. Penenka, which is just exactly what you want to see, isn't it? He chit, it hit the bar and it, and it was so good. There was so much time. The keeper sat on the floor. He went off to celebrate and it just bounced back. And then he thought, oh, I can hit this. Then he realised he couldn't. Uh, tonight, Leeds go to the Emirates to play Arsenal. Uh, Arteta v Bielsa. That'll be a fun one, won't it? You've written something about Bielsa. Is it anything so new? So is John. Have you written something about Bielsa as well? Well, uh, we've both written previews of this game in our own ways. Right, OK. I think Leeds... 8,000 Leeds fans going uh, for a game that they're happy to go to the Emirates. They hope to be there back there next season, which is the main priority for the club. Yeah, I mean, actually, memories of this game, it's uh, 2012 when Thierry Henry came back from his... He was on loan from New York Red Bulls and scored his goal. Uh, A a goal scored across uh, Andy Lonergan, of course, who's now... 
at Liverpool these days. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, in the Football League, just a one game in League One, Sunderland beating Lincoln 3-1. They're in ninth. I don't know what you're worried about. Well, Wilson. if they win their game in hand, suddenly they're back in the playoffs. I yeah. can't, no idea how that's happened. The rest of the league should be very ashamed of themselves. Three <laughs> points separating 6th and 13th. Uh, in League 2, Grimsby won one that at Mansfield in Ian Holloway's first game in charge. He was in the stands for the other one. They were down to 10 men for a lot of the game as well. Leaders Swindon were held to a one-all draw by Bradford, who equalised in the 89th minute. We've mentioned Macclesfield's victory over Cambridge, lifting them five points clear of the relegation zone. Their first win since the 19th of October. How generous we are. Uh, after their last win, they lost four in a row, then drew six of the next seven. In the WSL, Arsenal stayed top with a 2-0 win over Birmingham. Uh, Jordan Nobbs scored the second with a first-time finish latching onto a long ball from Leah Will- Williamson. Sam Kerr made her debut for Chelsea, set up Beth England for their first in a 3-1 comeback win against Reading. Man City stays second, three points behind Arsenal with a 4-1 win at Spurs. All five goals in that game coming in the first half and that'll do for part two. Uh, In part three, we'll round up Europe and answer your questions. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. In Spain, it was the Barcelona derby this weekend. It was also top v bottom, but Espanyol managed to snatch a point at the end, finishing 2-2. Real Madrid also had a local derby at Getafe. Uh, They had a better time, winning 3-0. Atletico beat Levante 2-1, all three goals coming in a five-minute spell. Sevilla drew 1-1 with Athletic Bilbao. They're both five points behind the top two. From Spain to Italy, at the time of recording, four games have been played. Uh, Bologna Fiorentina is just about to kick off. Uh, Roma fell to a shock 2-0 defeat against Torino last night. Two goals from Andrea Bellotti. Lazio won 2-1 at Brescia after Mario Balotelli had put the home side ahead. Brescia then gave away a penalty with Andrea Gistana getting sent off and Ciro Immobile scoring the first of his two goals. Unfortunately, the game was temporarily halted as Mario Balotelli was once again a victim of racist abuse. He took to Instagram after the game to say Lazio fans... Uh, that were there today at the stadium, shame on you. Lazio have released a statement to say Lazio condemns the discriminatory behaviour from a tiny minority of fans during the match. The club reiterates once again its condemnation of similar unjustified behaviour and confirms its intention to pursue legal action against those who are in effect betraying their sporting passion by seriously damaging the image of the club. In France, Kieran says, what about the victory of JS Saint-Pierrois of Réunion, to reach the last 32 of the Coupe de France. I was also delighted to learn that their squad includes Florent Cinema Pongal. Really? Of the 2005 Liverpool vintage. Uh, so this is an amateur side uh, in Reunion uh, who've caused a major shock in the Cup. They beat League Two side Nior away from home in the round of 64. Uh, it's 9,000 kilometres. This island is uh, situated off the coast of Madagascar. Uh, their goals came from Gerard Hubert and Ryan Ponty. Um, French Football Federation allows teams from the overseas departments to take part in the competition each season. It's only the second time in history a team from one of the islands have reached the last 32 of the Cup. The last time it happened was in 1989 when Le Gelda of French Guinea achieved the same feat. Former Blackpool midfielder Elliot Grandin is in their squad uh, with uh, the 32-year-old playing the full 90 minutes. It's good, that, isn't it? Well, Who said Empire's from St. Pierre? Okay. Uh, so he's gone back to his hometown club. How old is Florent Cinema Pongo? He is uh, 35. Okay. He's as old as you think he is. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, what, does, is what does Anthony Letalic get up to? That was the. They arrived together, didn't they? Um, Gerard Houllier purchases for Liverpool. Letalic and Cinema Pongo set to alter Liverpool. And they did in their own way. Can you name four other players? Who have played for San Piero was 
I mean, one of them is famous and famously played in Ray Union. Two of the others are very, very famous players. One of them's a moderately famous player. Pushkus Pele, Brett Ormerod, and Quinton Fortune. Okay, a player who was playing in Réunion when his country called him up surprisingly for the 1990 World Cup and went on to do brilliant things. El Hadjouf. Roger Miller. Roger Miller. Okay. But also Jean-Pierre Papin, Dimitri Payet. I was going to say Papin. And uh, Didier Agat have all played there. Oh, I was pretty close. Also in France, Toulouse got taken out 1-0 by Saint-Privé-Saint-Hilaire of the 4th Division. Uh, the only goal came in the 96th minute. Uh, it's Carabao Cup semi-final time. Manchester Derby on Tuesday. Leicester Villa on Wednesday. Who's going to get through those, Paul? Uh, Leicester and City. Is that the final we all want? Yeah, I'd be good, yeah. I think I'd, I'd enjoyed seeing Leicester having a proper go at City. Uh, Got da- battered by them in the league, though, didn't they? I mean, that was a real gulf between them. Yeah. Dances, considering all the shit going down with Iran, do you know of any notable international players playing in leagues where wars have suddenly kicked off? I mean, loath as I am to <laughs> publicise my books. Um, but the name said long ago uh, begins with the story of Jimmy Hogan, who was coaching in Austria uh, when the First World War broke out and was briefly uh, imprisoned. And then he was released under house arrest uh, and was sort of bought out house arrest to go to Budapest, where he had a profound influence on Hungarian football. But there was also, he, he would have been, he, he'd been offered the job of uh, to be, uh, to prepare Germany for the 1916 Olympics. And he w- wrote to uh, Ugo Meisel, who's head of Austrian football, for a reference. And he wouldn't let him go. He said, no, come and work with us. And so Steve Bloomer, the great derby forward, went. And he ended up being interned at Rulebe, which is like the first sort of um, internment camp. And they sound like they had a brilliant time. There was, a, there was, I think it was nine former international footballers kept there. Um, so they, the, the games, they organised a league and games between them would get so enormous... Like a sort of- Escape to victory, but 30 years before, sort of thing. Yeah, they, they, they get crowds in the thousands coming to watch the games. So they also, um, the uh, the editor of the Irish Times, who's an alcoholic who wore sombrero at all times, was there. The inventor, Geoffrey Pike, who, um, he he had this idea of making uh, aircraft carriers out of ice and demonstrated that to Winston Churchill in his bath. Um, oh, Prince Mono- and Wilf Lunn of his day. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, Prince Monolulu, who was uh, a horse racing tipster and the first sort of black celebrity. In what Britain. was his What was his catchphrase, Jonathan? I got a horse. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, who else was there? Uh, the Earl of Perth was there. Of course. Uh, so they, yeah, it sounds like he's had a. They, they wrote the first ever coaching manual there. Um, what's his name was there? He went to Athletic in Bilbao. Uh, Fred Pentland. Yeah, huge influence over Spanish football. Uh, William Dutton, who was born in South Shields, but played in national football for Germany. But they, they put on like lectures every day. They put on theatrical performances. The Bauhaus for football. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say, actually, to the listeners that Jonathan listed all that without actually looking at any notes, which yeah. is absolutely amazing. Have you seen Short Circuit? <laughs> because With Johnny Five? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I sort of, in my mind, Wilson is half detective, half Johnny Five. Yeah. Desperately seeking more input. Um <laughs> Fred says, which pod member has the oldest replica shirt that's not a rebuy 10 years after their favourite club was good? So you know what? I'm really upsettingly, all my old Cambridge shirts, the Lynn Fox and the Howlett, talking about the sponsors from the eight, early 90s, have, have gone. As And I had the Spurs, not the absolutely brilliant Hummel with the lines, but the one after that, still quite a nice Holston kit, the sort of Lineker-Gascoigne era but they've all they've all disappeared has anyone I've got a 2001 Slovenia national team shirt okay 
I've got a PSV away shirt from, I think it's 95, oh, the year after Ronaldo left. That's excellent. Uh, I, all, all of mine are gone. The, 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 my favourite one that I had was a Marseille sort of 92 classic sort of... Basil Bolly. Yeah. Era. Oh, yeah. yeah Panasonic that sponsor. Yeah, really good. That was, yeah, classic well, stuff. I, I had... The Sunderland Lecoq Sportif shirt from I think '82, which was at the time I didn't like it, and it's it's only quite recently I've, I realised what a great design it was. It was sort of a plain white shirt with with two red pinstripes. Oh yeah, yeah, down yeah. each side and, and red shorts. So not very Sunderland, but a very nice kit. Well, uh, listen, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, John. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. <laughs> For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Pour avoir un site internet bien conçu, bien référencé et bien sécurisé, il y a ceux qui galèrent bien, mais alors vraiment bien. Et puis il y a les autres, ceux qui veulent créer eux-mêmes leur site facilement avec un outil intuitif et ceux qui préfèrent ne rien faire. Pour eux, One and One Yono s'occupe de tout. En plus, avec One and One Yonos, on peut toujours faire appel à son conseiller personnel comme s'il était dans le bureau d'à côté. À choisir, vous préférez quoi Un tuto ou un conseiller que vous finirez par tutoyer À bientôt sur Yonos, ionos.fr slash podcast. Bonne écoute